The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, it's nice to be with you all this morning. It's exciting, in fact. Um, my name is Emily Hanson Curran. Again, I use the pronouns she, her, hers. Do you all remember that, uh, that song, I'll Fly Away? Uh, I love that song. I grew up singing that song in church and around campfires. And actually, just yesterday, I sang it like in earnest. Well, it was sung in earnest at my aunt's memorial. But there's other songs like it, like um, uh, This World Is Not My Home, I'm Just a Passing Through. You guys know that one? My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Even if you don't know these songs, if you grew up in church, I am sure you've heard this message. They're all saying that this world that we live is just a stepping stone to whatever's going to come next. This place and what happens here ultimately is just a shadow of what will be. And one day, we'll arrive at our true destination with God, where God will reign and there'll be no more suffering or loss or pain. And while for some, this is a legitimate framework to make sense of the horrors of this world, of being enslaved or abused or in addiction, for others, it's used as a way, knowingly or not, to inflict those same horrors. For that latter group, it has meant that this world is meant to be used up, discarded, used in whatever way to our advantage so that we can get what's next and what's ours. Then, when we die, we'll get our reward in those pearly white gates with gold streets. 
But I think what we see in Jesus in this story this morning is just exactly the opposite. Here he is, all flesh and pain, as he sinks deep into what it means to be human in this moment with his friend. We watch him approve of Mary and the ways she was present to him in this pain. And we see him rebuke Judas and the ways he was worried about getting what's his. I know that we're not quite at Easter, um, and I now come from a very liturgical tradition that really does not, I mean, we can't say hallelujah during Lent. Maybe you do that here too. But, and we still have to walk through uh, the trials and death of Jesus in the coming weeks. But as I sat with this story this week, it seemed to me that while not yet dead or resurrected, that Jesus was offering us a glimpse of what will be, of what the resurrection might mean for us. And it's here I'd like to wonder with you this morning. So here we go. The room we enter this morning in our story is loaded with death. There's Lazarus, who literally just died and came back to life. So can't get more dead than that. And there's also Judas, who has been betraying the disciples all along by stealing from the common purse. And will later, as we all know, betray Jesus and then suffer a grueling death in a field he purchased with the money he had stolen. And then, of course, we have Jesus who through some squirrely feet by the skin of his teeth just avoided stoning a chapter earlier in, in, uh, in uh, chapter 10, 11, and who at this point in the story is basically a dead man walking. Folks were starting to pay more attention to, attention to Jesus after he raised Lazarus from the dead, and so the high priest Caiaphas in chapter 11 has just decided that whatever uprising has begun must end for fear that the Romans will come in and intervene and destroy the temple and the Jewish people along with it. And so he sent out the decree that anyone who gets eyes on Jesus must report him. Jesus knows this, but heads back into the fire anyway to Bethany, near Jerusalem, for what will be one last meal with his good friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So it's in this scene that Mary, then wide awake to what is, pulls out a laborer's annual salary worth of ointment, usually saved for embalmment, and wipes Jesus' feet with it and her hair. There's an honesty to her sadness. It's raw. There's no artifice. There's no hoped-for outcome. It's just pure mourning. It's beautiful. But also, the scene must have been so messy with dirty feet and oil and, I'm assuming, long hair and we can imagine there are tears as this woman comprehends what her friend's life has come to. She knows he's going to die, and she is deeply, deeply sad. And then I can, like, picture Judas in the background, sort of cagey, pacing around in the room, anxiety over the waste that he was witnessing and the fact that the money was essentially being poured all over the floor, and money that the writer parenthetically lets us know, was likely going to end up in Judas's pocket. That'd make me anxious too. But then Jesus, uh, Judas comes up with a really good excuse for needing to jump in to stop this, knowing Jesus' proclivities towards those in need. He shouts, this could be going to the poor. 
But Jesus, unfazed, says, this is time for extravagance. Let her do what she is doing. She understands. There is something that Mary knows and which Jesus honors. She has been paying attention. She knows that you can't go around hanging out with poor and marginalized folks and raise a guy from the dead without upsetting the folks who think they have power. She knows that folks like that end up dead. But she has no power, embraces this reality, and mourns with the abundance of a great feast. There's something that happens in almost all the gospel accounts, which is that when folks understand or confess to understand who Jesus is, Jesus then announces he's going to die. It's a funny thing he does. It's perhaps his way of confirming that he's human. So like, just when you understand him to be the son of God, then he must die. But perhaps none of this matters as much as the reaction of his followers once they understand he's the son of God. Like, remember uh, Peter in the book of Matthew? Jesus asks his disciples who they think Peter, who he thinks he is, and Peter responds with, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And then the writer of Matthew says, from that time on, Jesus started telling his disciples that he was to head to Jerusalem and die. So Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him, feeling that this is blasphemous. This is Peter handling with death by denial. And that's when Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. I think our KG Judas in the story gets it too. He knows Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It's why he's so anxious. He's realizing that in this moment he is out of control. That he's losing what could be his. And Jesus reprimands him as well. How is it that we respond to death and to loss? Do we respond with anxiety and fear do we try to avoid it? Do we try to escape when loss is coming close? Or do we sink deeper into love with care and wisdom and abundance and presence? I heard uh, Krista Tippett in an interview this week say that wisdom is having a quality of presence. And I've been sitting with that all week. What does that mean, to have a quality of presence? And what I've worked out is that I think it's an ability to hold life and death and to be present to both without fear or anxiety. And there's, in moments when there is life, to understand that death is also present. And in moments of death, to understand that there will be life again and to walk through both with an abundance of presence. Last fall at my church uh, over in Berkeley, um, All Souls Episcopal Church, we started a small group for uh, parents of teens because, like, if you're a teenager right now, hats off to you. This is a doozy, this COVID stuff. And we're watching some of the parents of these teens just struggle. So we decided to put them together in a small group for parents um, just to work stuff out. 
And I sat in on the first meeting just to introduce them and introduce a basic structure to the meeting. And after some discussion about logistics and when we'd meet, we launched into a discussion about what we all hoped this group would be. And one parent said something I've been sitting on ever since. I, like, I can't remember exactly what she said, but I remember the way it made me feel. And she said she's not looking for advice about parenting. Instead, she wants a group to process this massive endeavor that they were undertaking as parents. She wanted to be reminded of this thing she was in and that she was doing. She didn't want to miss this moment with her kids. She didn't want to get lost in the pains and the loss and the busyness of parenting. She wanted to make sure she kept present to what she was doing. I sat there and I was like, yes, yes. To be present, even in the midst of hard things, that is what I want. To be present with whatever is, and not to be distracted with my phone or my stupid inbox or with what could be or with what others would do with this moment that I am in. But to have understanding about what is and be present with that. That's how I want to live. And I think it's that kind of presence that gives us a glimpse of the kingdom of God here and now. Mary was in alignment with Jesus in this moment. She saw him. She was with him. She understood what this moment was. And she responded in the full presence to it. It's what makes this moment so rich with Mary and Jesus. I'm pretty sure, in fact, that this is one of the things we're talking about when we say we've had an experience of God. I've been asking around lately what people mean when they say they've had an experience of God. Like, what are you actually talking about? And I've discovered, discovered that when people put this into words, it's just this. It's what we're talking about right now. It's that overwhelming sense of being alive in a given moment when our full presence and our full attention is aligned with this moment in front of us. As I mentioned, I was at my aunt's memorial yesterday, and as I sat there, we sang these old songs, songs I in no way theologically believe anymore. And I found myself in some deep emotions. I would maybe say I was having an experience of God. What was that? Well, as we were singing, I was holding all of the, the places and the people that my life is from, from my grandparents and my aunt and my uncle and all the people in our family who have already died. These were their songs. And while I don't believe that I will fly away someday, holding all of these memories and deaths and being present to all these people in this moment, I had quite a moment. My attention was aligned and I was awake to all that was present to the, the moment that this moment had to offer. We're collectively in a moment with death. It's swirling all around. All the death of these last two years, the loss of who, we, who we've been, the loss of who our children once were, and not to mention the suffering and pain that we will one day experience. But to face all of that, to be present, 
wide awake to it all without fear and anxiety, but with care and devotion and even an extravagance of love. That, I think, is what it means to live this life as a Christian. That is, to live as resurrected people. Here, now, bringing the kingdom of God on earth here and now. Death, in fact, does not have the final word. I've heard that phrase my whole life. <laughs> but I think I'm finally coming around to some understanding of what that can mean. Even in death, there is life. Abundance of life isn't saved for a special moment. That moment when we fly away from this place and arrive up in heaven. It's for us now when we are present. The kingdom of God is here among us. We will know it. We will live it with our presence to what's here and now.